You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. And good morning and or afternoon, whichever the correct one may be for where you are right now. Uh, and I want to welcome you to Ask the Best with Dr. Jeff. I am your host for the next 30 minutes, Dr. Jeff Werber. And we are here for you and your pets. And we want to hear from you because it's free. Send me your questions. Call me. Call me at 877-385-8882. If you are more computer savvy and you're sitting right there with your little laptop, then go ahead and send me uh, a little note to Dr. Jeff at Pet Life Radio. That's Dr. Jeff at PetLifeRadio.com. Or just go in to Pet Life Radio, click on Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. You, my page will come up and you will see a box that says join in the conversation and just start typing away and we will get you that way. And not just the free advice, not just to answer your questions, but for any caller, as a thank you to our sponsors, Kong and ProSense Pet Products, we will send you out a Kong toy and a ProSense pet product product and stuff for your pet's good health. We're here for you. And I want to thank once again, our retailers, oh, the good Walmarts and the Targets, et cetera, for carrying the full line of ProSense pet products. So for those of you that had joined us, and I wouldn't know because there are so many of you that are afraid to pick up the phone. I am amazed. And uh, don't be afraid. It's free and it's easy. And we want to hear from you. We want to help you. So just again, 877-385-8882. That's how easy it is to get to us. So last couple of weeks, we've been talking about skin allergies. We also started talking about vomiting, a lovely subject. And what I realized is that there are veterinary medicine is not a one size fits all. You can't bring a dog in with the history of vomiting, for example, and expect that the treatment or the approach to the case might be the same as when your pet, same pet, was vomiting a year before. Because there are so many other factors that we have to take into consideration some questions we need to ask and then have answered before we can determine, is this a serious vomiting episode or a not so serious? And I realize that there are a number of presenting complaints that we see that also can vary from, oh my gosh, we have to do something now, to something that can actually handle on the phone with a little history and say, you know what, this is not a problem. Just Sort of like take two aspirin and call me in the morning. Not quite that because we don't like to give necessarily pets aspirin. But the key really is that we have to evaluate the entire picture. We have to get a good history. We have to know how the pet is doing other than the presenting problem. We have to know how it came on. Was it sudden or was it a slow insidious onset? And these are all the very, very important questions that need to be answered before we can determine how are we going to approach this case. And if there's one concern I have with, you know what, I'm allowed to say anything I want. This is my show. But and I, I've actually been in huge forums because I do a lot of speaking at the conferences. But the biggest concern I have is the younger veterinarians are so skewed to the types of cases they see in their teaching hospitals that when the, by the time they get out and go into general private practice, they don't really know that there are many, many other types of problems in that same genre of problems that they might see. Here's what I mean. Just to give you a little history of a teaching hospital, teaching hospitals like university hospitals in medicine are where all the research, all the happening stuff is being done. 
the typical problem that you might go to your doctor for or that you might bring your pet to the veterinarian for is going to be handled by your veterinarian. Now, what happens when your vet is challenged by a case, is presented a case that is beyond the scope of a GP, that needs that specialist, that needs that extra bit or needs that team of specialists. So what might they do? They might send your pet to a, we call it a referral, to a specialty group in your area. Or if there is a hospital, a university vet school hospital nearby, they will send it to the hospital. When I was at UC Davis, we would scale a lot of these cases. Now understand, these cases are not your norm. They're not your typical. These are the really bizarre, challenging cases that do happen, but it's not something that's normal. It's, not, it's something usually that your general practice veterinarian or even I sort of hit that roadblock. And now we need the help of the experts in that respective field. Ah, so now think about the veterinary students going through the many of our veterinary schools in the U.S. They are not seeing the vast majority of the basic cases because they don't need to get to the university. Your veterinarian, your private practice vet in your little hometown is able to take care of it without issue. So the cases that they see are actually these very bizarre, challenging cases that need a tremendous amount of diagnostic workups. So what they've forgotten, the disservice that we as a profession have created in our young graduates is that they don't really have a grasp for your normal, run-of-the-mill, typical, much more common case. And they go bonkers when they see a case and they think, oh my God, I have to do this test and this test and this test and this test. And before you know it, $1,000 later, you have five tests that were done. You only needed one and your pet's fine, but it didn't need all that. So I think getting that history is so critical to find out how something came up and how long it's been there. What's the rest of the pet like? Try to, what I always try to do is I try to eliminate for a minute the problem in, even in my brain and my eyes that I'm seeing before me and I want to evaluate the pet as a whole, the rest of the pet. If that rest of the pet is just fine, and I'm clearly then less worried about whatever the presenting problem was. If, however, he is, as we use the term a lot, and you know what, that ADR ain't doing right, so in general, everything else is kind of off, then obviously we have to take a different approach. So this week, what I wanted to do, and I mentioned it last week before the show ended, we're going to talk about a very, very common presenting complaint that we're going to see all the time, your veterinarian is going to see all the time, and to help you determine when this is something that you need to panic or something that you don't need to panic. Something where I'm going to give you some clues where you could actually say to your veterinarian, really, I, you want to, I don't think we need to take an MRI right now. Why don't we wait and see uh, what the x-ray shows? And this is limping. And limping can vary. It can present in so many different ways, so many different onsets. A one-year-old who comes up limping, lame, that was playing at the park the day before is going to be a lot different than the 10-year-old who has not going to the park and in the last couple of days has a little limp that's getting worse and worse, all right? Which one am I more concerned about, the one-year-old or the 10-year-old? And clearly the 10-year-old because the one-year-old who was doing fine on Saturday and then Sunday goes to the park and comes up uh, lame Sunday evening, obviously that's like you or I turning an ankle, twisting, pulling, whatever. So is it dog weight-bearing, meaning is it able to put weight on the leg? Is it still happy? Is it eating? Is it wagging its tail? When you come in, is it thrilled to see you? Then that's really not much of a problem. That's one where I might just say to an owner, if they called me on the phone, you know what? Is he able to walk on it? Yeah. So clearly pretty much, obviously not 100%, but if they can put weight on it, even though they're favoring it, it's not broken. 
usually if there's a broken bone, even so much as a broken toe, they really are protecting it worse. Obviously, not every dog is this way, but certainly to not panic, I will tell you, don't panic, give it a day. Uh, if you have any certain non around the house, things that we've given before, even if the case is right, an aspirin at a very much lower dose than we take them, and rest. If something looks swollen, if there may have been what appears to be maybe a bite, stepped on a bee. I mean, there's so many different reasons for a dog to come up limping that it's impossible to think that every limping dog needs an x-ray or worse, I mean, or a CT or bone scan. I mean, that's ridiculous because most don't. The expression that I've used many a time, again, it's a California expression, but I'm sure you guys can get it. You're running along the beach in Malibu, hear the hoofbeats chasing you from behind. You're not going to think zebras. You're going to think horses. You're going to go with the obvious. So when we see this a limping dog, the things that I would have you do at home, first of all, is evaluate the rest of the dog. Forget the limp for a second. Some questions that I'm going to ask you, some questions that you should ask yourself that will help you determine, is this something that I need to panic? Or is this something that, you know what, I'm going to give it a day or two and just see how things go. First of all, is there any swelling or pain to the touch? Like can you hit a spot where, oh my God. If so, you have to think of some, especially if it's on the foot, some sort of insect, bee, a spider, some sort of bite, a thorn, something actually got in the pad. Turn the foot around, look inside, check in between the toes themselves. We call it the webbing. Check underneath by the pads, kind of spread the pads. If there's hair in the way, try to, try to get the hair away and actually inspect the toe, toenails, the foot, the pads, etc. See if you can find something. If the area is swollen and tender to the touch, so he doesn't want to really put weight on the foot because of it, you can also fill up a baggie with some ice water, stick the foot inside the baggie, and crimp the baggie over the wrist for 10 minutes, and let's see if we can help bring down the swelling. And lastly, and you might want to check with your veterinarian, I am okay with a scriptin, which is an aspirin with an antacid in it. And at about, I usually give one aspirin for 50 to 60 pounds. So if you have a 15-pound dog, it's going to be a quarter of an aspirin. Only max twice a day every 12 hours. Usually, I'll just give it once. Do not use acetaminophen or ibuprofen or any of the others in a dog without first consulting a veterinarian. And never, one more time, never use acetaminophen, Tylenol in a cat. It will kill your cat. So if all is well from that perspective, then what you want to do is think about watch the dog walk and see, is he putting weight on it or is he not putting weight on it? How animated is he or she? Still running around, still wanting to play, just just has kind of a glitch, you know, a, a little limp. Then if that's the case, then again, it's probably nothing to worry about. So now let's look into the history. Where was your dog the day before or the day before that? Right? Was there excessive play? Were, playing with another dog, doggy daycare, dog park, any, uh, did you go to the park and throw a ball or a frisbee? Any potential that he twisted something, turned something, etc. And is it a front leg or a back leg? Because if it's a back leg and you have a big dog and there was a lot of running or pivoting, there might be a concern of a cruciate tear, which is the injury that a lot of football players and basketball players get, called the cranial cruciate or the anterior cruciate ligament. Typically, however, when a dog will tear a cruciate or tear, not even completely, even some of the fibers, it's often uh, associated with an acute yelp. You will hear them give a cry. And that is important to note. And if certainly your veteran is going to ask you, did you hear? Were you there? Were you, did you witness? 
what happened. And if it's a back leg, especially if it's a larger dog or any of those short squat dogs like my Frenchies, then that is something we need to put on our list of possibilities. And we may want to obviously take an x-ray. There's some things that we can do and try to evaluate whether or not that is a problem as well. Anyway, we're going to come back. We're going to talk about some conditions that are more serious, but it is that time halfway into our show and it goes very quickly. So uh, stay tuned. Don't move. If you have any questions about this, about a limping dog, a dog or a cat that's been limping, favoring a leg, I want to hear from you because believe it or not, it might not even be a leg problem. That's right. We have to think of the backbone and the neck as well. So don't go away. Get ready to call me back. 877-385-8882. We'll be back in just a minute. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. This is my tired of itching face. Does your dog suffer from persistent itching and scratching? Allergies and skin irritations caused by environment, including pollens, insects, especially fleas, food, and common household allergens are common problems in dogs. It's easy to alleviate your dog's discomfort at home with ProSense. ProSense itch and allergy products provide fast relief from symptoms like itchy, irritated skin, skin infections like hot spots and watery eyes. ProSense products are veterinary formulated and recommended to ensure the very best for your pet. Try ProSense today. Your dog will thank you for it. Pets love life. Love them back with ProSense. Petco, where the pets go. Petco, where the pets go. Pet Life Radio has tail-wagging, fur-flying, fabulous deals for our listeners from Petco. Get $6 off your order of $60 or more and up to 40% off the entire Petco site. That's right. But that's not all. Because you're a Pet Life Radio listener, you'll also get free shipping on your order of $49 or more. $6 off, up to 40% off and free shipping from Pet Life Radio and Petco. To get these awesome deals, go to PetcoDeals.com. That's PetcoDeals.com. Petco, where the pets go. Pet Life Radio, the number one pet radio network on the planet, joins forces with iHeartRadio to put the power of your pets in your pocket. Awesome. Download the iHeartRadio app and rock Pet Life Radio on your phone, on your tablet, on your Xbox, in your car. Pet talk, pet tunes, and fun pet times. Pet Life Radio and iHeartRadio. Positively possum. Thinking about buying a monkey? How about a ferret or a skunk? Then check out the show that will answer the burning questions, where do you get them? What do you feed them? How do you take care of them? And most of all, what were you thinking? With exotic pet expert and author Bob Tart, every week on demand from PetLifeRadio.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. <laughs> and welcome back to Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff here on Pet Life Radio. And before the break, we are we were talking about limping, just one of the other conditions, problems that you're you might notice in your pet. And I want to give you some guidelines just to when is it something you need to really worry about? Worry about just maybe a little, or really pretty much not worry about it at all. So you know, we talked about the swelling, a dog that is comes up acutely, means suddenly lame, usually after an episode of of running or playing. 
but still walking on it, just kind of limping. Just before the break, we talked about if it's a back leg, a knee issue, we might be concerned about about a cruciate tear. But let's get into some things that might require some intervention, some veterinary intervention, a call or a, at least a, a visit to your veterinarian. And those would be either that same minor problem, and you've done everything right. You rested, you gave some, some medication that might help, you have maybe some glucosamine, you checked with your veterinarian, and you gave a low-dose aspirin, with ideally with a little um, an antacid in it as well. And yet, despite all that, two, three days later, still limping. That now, it says, okay, we, now we have to check it out. Even though the rest of him is fine, even though he's happy, he's eating, everything else is perfect, by now the limp should be slightly getting better every day, and if it's not, we need to take a look at it. Or the problem where it's not just limping, it is non-weight-bearing. An injury, something that happens suddenly, something that's insidiously, day by day, not getting better, but actually getting worse. And you really can't pick a time or an episode that happened that brought this on. It just all of a sudden just started happening. And you notice it, and every day it's getting worse, or every few days it's getting worse. And now it's gotten to the point where they don't want to walk at all on a leg, or more than one leg. Or how about a dog that uh, you, you're noticing the leg is just getting large, more and more swollen. And when you touch it, it's either hot or you know, like firm to the touch. So these are all the different scenarios that this could happen. And we need to go through because obviously they're even still a little bit different. Now, when you have any of these situations, you definitely want to see a veterinarian. And this is where some sort of of study is going to be in order, depending on, again, the rest of the pet. If the pet is otherwise fine, despite the leg issue, the limb issue itself, then at least the x-ray and a good thorough manipulation palpation is in order. Blood work may not be in order. Let's, let's take a cat, however, for example, or a dog that you can see actually a wound. You can see a puncture. You can see a bite. And the leg is not only getting firm, but it's almost getting hot to the touch. Temperature is elevated. So now you have to think, oh my God, we have either a cellulitis or an abscess. These animals 100% need to have blood work done as well. We need to see if there's an elevated white cell count. Do we have an infection brewing? And if so, has anything else been affected by this? And that's where it's going to require, obviously, veterinary intervention. If you have the injury, for example, the most obvious, a hit by car, and not only is the dog in pain, not bearing weight at all. And you, even if you looked at the leg, or especially if you looked at the leg and saw, oh my God, this is not a normal leg, of course, straight to your vet, straight on the x-ray table, we have to evaluate for any kind of fractures. Now, what about the, uh, a case where you have an insidious onset that seems to be getting worse? And again, uh, an abscess brewing or cellulitis that's not being treated could be one of them. But if, it, if you have an older dog, a large breed especially, And you could feel, it's not necessarily that it feels warm to the touch, but the bone, especially near the joint, is starting to feel very firm and clearly larger than the opposite end, the opposite bone on the other side. Well, now we have to start thinking, and I hate to say it, it does happen, it's a drag, and that is bone cancer or joint cancer, something called osteosarcoma or chondrosarcoma. And we see this a lot in larger dogs uh, as they get older. So again, this is something that's going to need workup. Uh, it's going to need full panel of bloods and a major discussion with you and your veterinarian to determine, oh my God, what are my chances? What are the options here? Because there are many. And most importantly, what is the prognosis? Again, depending on all these factors, I know some people that just refuse to put a dog on chemo and radiation. I've had clients that refuse to amputate, even though they're catching it early in the course of the disease. The dog is doing great otherwise. 
to them, to the dog itself, three legs means nothing. They do it so easily. And yet owners have this thing in their own head that I'm not going to amputate. So, but that's something, a discussion you have to have with your family, you have to have with your veterinarian, but options are out there. If you have the dog that has a continued lameness and it can't be pinpointed, everything on the x-ray is normal, right, as far as the limbs. Now, as I mentioned just before the break, believe it or not, there are disc episodes in the neck, the cervical spine, creating forelimb lameness at the very end creating hind limb lameness that has nothing to do with the foot, the hock, the knee, the hip. It's all in the nerve supply to the back leg in that case or has nothing to do with the shoulder or the elbow or the carpus or the toes. In the case of a forelimb lameness, it might be all because of a pinched nerve or a disc, something going on in the neck. So this too obviously is going to need a certain amount of diagnostics to determine what the problem is. Now, another area that we didn't discuss that I, we need to bring apart, we, you know, we talked about the older dogs, we talked about the cancer, we talked about the knee, the stifle injuries in some of these breeds. But what about the 10 or 12 month old golden retriever? No history of necessarily of, of any kind of injury. It wasn't running like crazy at the park. And all of a sudden, it's really favoring, let's say, a forelimb, a front leg. Now what? What are some of the possibilities? Well, this is where we get to talk about some of the growth-related diseases that we can see commonly in especially large-breed dogs, large-breed, rapidly-growing dogs, up until they're about two years of age. And yes, it's going to need x-rays to determine the problem. And when you see a dog presenting like this, this is what we need to, uh, to evaluate. And there are three major issues that we see on a front limb and pretty much two on the back, but the three on the front limb are something called panosteitis. That is an inflammation of growing bone. The bone hurts. Next is FCP, fragmented coronoid process, which is a developmental anomaly in the elbow. We call elbow dysplasia. And lastly is OCD, and not obsessive compulsive disorder, but osteochondritis desiccans. It's a cartilage flap defect typically presenting in the shoulder. So fortunately, the panosteitis is the most common of the three. And the reason I say that is that it is a non-surgical condition. It is a medical, let's wait, let's provide some pain relief, let's provide some anti-inflammatories, and we're going to be fine versus the osteochondritis and the fragmented coronoid, which turn out to be surgical diseases. Now, they do great after surgery, but still, you got to subject your young, happy, healthy, goofy retriever or whatever the large breed may be to a surgery. Now, I mentioned the elbow dysplasia, and obviously, it brings to mind hip dysplasia. And let's talk for a second, because the hip dysplasia, it's extremely, it's, it's a huge subject. As a matter of fact, I see that our time is such that I don't even want to start the subject of hip dysplasia because it's a biggie. I can give a whole show to hip dysplasia. And as a matter of fact, I may next week. Well, actually, next week, I'm going to be at the Central Veterinary Conference and will most likely have a guest on with me. Who that guest might be, I'm not so sure yet because I have to see who will be the most interesting colleague to bring on our show next week from the conference itself. It's a great conference in Kansas City. 
If you've never been to Kansas City, not a fun place to be during the winter, but man, during the summer, it is a great town. A lot of fun, a lot of great places to go and eat. And this conference called the Central Veteran Conference has been growing by leaps and bounds over the years. It's become, you know, one of the big three or four, and it's a great conference. So we're going to be live, broadcasting live from the Central Veteran Conference next week, next Sunday. But I'm going to work on, uh, we'll do this piece on hip dysplasia, hip problems, and the, the wide gamut. It's, it's one of those things that to me as a practitioner, it's so frustrating how much misinformation is out there about hips. So we're going to have to clear that up. So anyway, for those of you that didn't call, the number that you forgot was 877-385-8882. That's the number you can actually call us in next week. We did get an email, which we will also deal with next week, a sort of a common problem about a woman who's neutered male cat seems to get a little bit over-aggressive out of the blue, often when she's just lying in bed, and starts to bite. This could be an issue, a displaced aggression. So we'll talk about that as well. And other than that, we get to see you next week, same bat time. And right here at Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff here on Pet Life Radio. And want to thank once again our sponsors, ProSense and Kong, who are off the hook this week because none of you chose to call. And of course, Mark Winter, my fantastic producer. And we will see you live from the Central Vet Conference next Sunday. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.